0: hi everyone and welcome to the perma podcast i am james prescott your host welcome to the show Uh, really great to have you all with us again and uh uh yeah um it's another new guest this week uh and got introduced to her by a mutual friend um who's actually been a guest on this show melissa weissenberger You know her she's been on the show before and probably will be again um yeah, and so today my guest is Nikki Papas. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's really great to have you have you here. Um, I'm really glad we got introduced. Um, Nikki uh, is a podcast host and and also has her first book coming out soon as well, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I've just I've just been getting to know Nikki's work, um, and it's it's great. She had, the podcast she has is called Broadening the Narrative, um, and it's all kind of about um, deconstruction and unlearning old narratives, and yeah, her own journey. And we're going to talk about that today. So, um, yeah, welcome, Nikki. Just tell us a bit before we get into your story. Just tell us a bit about you.
1: Yeah. So, like you said, I'm Nikki Pappas. I am 32 years old. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm a writer and the author of a recently finished memoir. And it's titled As Familiar as Family Leaving the Toxic Religion I Was Groomed for. And I have the podcast, like you said, which I started in August 2020 as sort of a way to have some connection during the pandemic and talk to people who yeah, are broadening the narratives I was taught within white evangelicalism specifically. I have three young children. They are ages seven, five, and four. And uh, I have them with Stephen, my partner in the chaos for the past 12 years, because we I was literally 20 when I got married, which I 10 out of 10 do not recommend, but that is what purity culture and everything does to people. Uh, but yeah, now in my life, I just want to spark hope in the world around me so that people can live an embodied faith, whatever that looks like in the here and now to bring us one step closer to on earth as it is in heaven. And I have a lot of questions about what that means now, but I know it's not what it is right now. <laughs> so yeah that's a little Absolutely.
0: about me oh thank you that's great a lovely little introduction um yeah um and yeah you've definitely been on a, on a journey from what I've you know from listening to your work and engaging with your work a bit you've got a powerful story to tell so um I'm um I'm excited to hear it so yeah so I guess to start just I guess just Tell us like where did this all begin? where did this what you're doing now like the journey that you've been on where did that kind of all obviously you grew you grew up in evangelicalism, like a lot of people right um where did things start to change when you start started to notice things were maybe not as they should be
1: Mhm yeah, well, so I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And if you have seen anything about the news coming out about the SBC and the sexual assault cover-ups and all those things within the SBC. So I was part of an SBC church. And then when I was 19, I actually got introduced to a reformed church and it was part of the Acts 29 network. So then I just kind of jumped to this other thing and that became family family for me. Those people became family for me. And in a lot of ways, I was sort of just trying to get away from the abuse of my past and childhood. And this group of people seemed to really hold the answer for me. And so for 10 years, in a lot of ways, I can look back and be grateful for what they did offer and the healing that did come as a result. But uh, it was actually in 2017 was when things really started to shift for me. And I attended a Be the Bridge meeting, and it, Be the Bridge is focused on racial justice and equity work. And so, uh, but within a Christian context. And so I started going to these Be The Bridge meetings. And so when people talk about, you know, the the block or the string or whatever the thing is that's pulled on first, for me, it was white supremacy and what I had learned about race growing up, especially in South Carolina in the United States. And so once I started to see that these subtle beliefs that I held that are very dangerous, uh, but, you know, it wasn't the outright things that people might want to point out and be like, see, that's racist. No, I had these, I had these subtle things, but once I started to see those and see how damaging and dehumanizing those beliefs were, it was like, oh, well, if I'm wrong about these things, and if I believe damaging things here, the curiosity to ask, well, what else am I wrong about? And so from there, it was sort of this journey into questioning what I had been taught about women and about the Bible and about sexuality and all sorts of things. And I'm just really grateful that I had a friend of mine sort of ahead of me in that. She was going to therapy and she's the one who invited me to be the bridge and seeing her curiosity and her journey. And she had left the church we'd been a part of, but was doing okay. You know, like it didn't, she lost that community, but she found new community. And so I think that was something I could look at and say, if I ever had to leave this faith community, it would be hard and scary, but I'll find people to journey with who don't expect me to continue fitting in a box, who model curiosity and compassion and who are asking questions and who are okay with not having all the answers. And so, yeah, just seeing her do that and that gave me some hope on my own journey as I was questioning things. And then the big shift for me was when I was directly spiritually abused by my former pastor the lead pastor at the church that I've been a part of. And I say directly spiritually abused because now that I'm out of it, I can see that the whole system is abusive, right? Mm-hmm. The whole system is bent on destroying us and just hustling, being glorified and give everything to the church and money and time and serve, serve, serve. So yeah. But once I was directly spiritually abused talking with the lead pastor, that would have been in, the summer of twenty eighteen, I went on a six month journey from there to figuring out who I am and better connecting with who I am apart from the permission of this pastor and the approval of this pastor. And so, six months after being spiritually abused by him, we met again. And I thought, I, I at times can be quite hopeful and possibly naive. And so I thought once he knows how that meeting affected me, where he spiritually abused me, he's gonna wanna make things right between us. Even though for six months he had known and hadn't done anything, I still thought we're gonna sit down together. And he and oh, because this is the pastor who My premarital counseling and performed my wedding ceremony and was there for me through a lot of things. So it's not like it was just someone I didn't know. It's like we knew each other for 10 years. And so I thought, we'll sit down together and we're going to work this out. And he gaslit me. And it was just a very disorienting conversation. But I knew I can't stay at this church anymore because of that six month period where I had been. Further questioning and realizing, oh, I don't need his permission. I don't need his approval. And I know who I am. And I know that God still loves me. Even if, yeah, because I just had this misbelief that I had to sacrifice my autonomy and my agency in order to be accepted. And I come to see that no, like true acceptance and true belonging doesn't require me sacrificing who I am. <laughs> so that is conditional. So then I was able to walk away from that church. And so that was kind of what propelled it all was being directly spiritually abused. But I'd already been questioning things before that, starting with my beliefs about race.
0: Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like it, it, it takes something It just takes one question and then that kind of starts a domino effect that you and that I found this with my story that you you start asking questions and then there's more questions and more questions and more questions and, and then your eyes start to open, and you start to see things as they are. And it definitely sounds like that's what happened with you. Like that um yeah, I'm really sorry you were spiritually abused. Um that's very sad. I mean it happened to me as well, in a, probably in a different way, but um spiritual abuse takes different many different forms but yeah um because when you start to question a system that doesn't want you to question anything
1: right.
0: and wants to control you kind of in a passive aggressive kind of manipulative kind of way um some or evangelicalism sometimes it's very it's not passive aggressive it's just very directly aggressive <laughs> um, um then that that's 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 a problem for them um and Well, I think once you're on that path,
1: there's no going back. It's like
0: once you've seen, you can't unsee, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, too, when I – another pivotal point for me, have you heard of the Almost Heretical podcast? I think so,
0: yeah, vaguely, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so they had a series called their Gender Series, and that was about the teachings of women in the Bible. And when I listened to those – And I realized like, oh, this thing I've been taught in the Bible could mean this other thing. Like, It doesn't have to mean what I've been told. That was just so like, and one of their episodes was titled Jesus Ended Hierarchy. And so when I started to realize how much pinpointed back to maintaining a hierarchy, even in the language of lead elder, right? That you have a lead elder, the person at the top who makes all the decisions and all that comes with that. And so it's like this language of hierarchy. I started to see it like in race, in gender, in the church, in family relationships, all these things. And so once I realized, oh, well, Jesus dismantled that, I'm I'm glad that I had a curiosity to continue asking the questions and to continue on the journey, because I know that some people, they might ask the question and be scared of what that the implications of that answer might be.
0: Mm. And
1: so, uh, yeah, I'm glad that I kept asking the questions and that I had certain people who were supportive of that question asking and seeking. And I know that's not something that everyone has. Yeah,
0: that's right. It, it, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's yeah, I'm really glad you had that friend who was it's always good when we've got people who are kind of ahead of us on the journey and we can we can see them as solidarity and we can ask them questions and we can get their support. You know, it's it that that's really important for anyone who's on this journey that they know that there's other people on it and that other people that maybe are at a different point and who've maybe been where they have been. Yeah. And can just give them some encouragement you know um I, I didn't really have that to be honest when I was on my when I was on my journey but
1: but you started a while I mean, you've been doing this for a long time
0: I, I yeah like yeah I, I can't even put a date on it really it would yeah I'd say it was, I'd say it's probably started when my mother died which was 22 years ago wow. um but it, it was a low, slow burn after that uh, I didn't even acknowledge I was on the journey for five years after that. Um, uh, yeah, but it's been yeah, I've been on doing this a while, but, um, but but yeah, I mean it's good now that there's so many people on this journey that people who are just coming into it have people they can speak to and listen to and share with, um, and, and they don't have to kind of they're not leaving on their own, and uh, that's a, that's a that's a that's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, and how did your, how did what you, oh yeah, you know, well, this is kind of a two-part question. How did what you believe change? And then also how did how you believe change?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so the what in a lot of ways feels like it became the complete opposite of what I had believed. It feels like I kind of swung to the other side in all my beliefs. And one thing I've learned about myself is that whatever I believe, I tend to kind of go all in on. And so I've had to learn how to hold more space for nuance as long as someone isn't being harmed by a belief. (laughs) So yeah, so for me, it was kind of like, oh, if I had once identified completely complementarian and would have Worn that label proudly, I swung over to egalitarian and wore that label proudly, right? And it was like, everyone should be over here, (laughs) you know, where I am. So that was kind of the first, was a lot of this switching from thinking this thing to way over here thinking this thing. And I didn't have a lot of space for differences because I hadn't had space for differences before, and no one had taught me or shown me how to allow room for a humanity-enhancing nuance, again, as long as no one's being hurt. So it was like, at first, it was a lot of just, what did I believe before? Well, let me swing all the way over to here. And so, yeah, a lot of, I'm trying to think, like, yeah, becoming egalitarian, um, my beliefs on the Bible shifting going from originally having been taught and believing like this is the inherent God-breathed and inspired Word of God to uh, I still see a lot of value in this book, but I don't interact with it in the same way anymore. And uh, Inspired by Rachel Holt Evans was such... An amazing book to read to help me on mm-hmm. that journey and my relationship with the Bible. And so, which admittedly I don't interact with very much. It's hard for me to read the Bible still. But yeah, and even like what I have once believed about prayer and quiet time and all those things mm-hmm. sort of became this yeah, like how do I even do that now in a way that feels good to me. And so that was a big shift too, was this idea of an embodied faith and learning to trust my body. So where I once believed I am totally depraved and can't trust myself, (laughs) learning to believe that I am good and that my body is good, really, and how to connect with her in a way that cherishes her. And so that has been, it is still an ongoing journey. But one thing that I think really is a something I pinpoint back to is the verse about Jesus saying, I came that you would have life and that it would be abundant. And so now whenever I'm about to do something, I ask, is this bringing me life? <laughs> you know, before I would have just done the thing, you know, do all things without grumbling or complaining, whatever that is that the church wants you Mm -hmm. to do that quote Mm -hmm. God wants you to do. And now it's more of a, do I want to do this? And how do I feel in my body? As a result of that, is this bringing the abundant life that I was told Jesus promised? And If it's not bringing that life, then I quit doing it. And so like, yeah, just that journey of embodiment and trying to, the other thing is trying to let love be my guide. And so for kind of how, what I believe has changed, I went from thinking everyone needs to end up where I end up to holding my beliefs more loosely and being able to say, I could be wrong no matter where I land, but I'd rather be wrong in love and letting it be what people tell me is loving to them, right? Because I know we've all had love weaponized against us, right? Like, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love. And I know I even said that to people, like, I'm telling you the truth in love, mm-hmm. but it was either the truth and it was, and it was not love and it was not received as love by the person. And so that has been such... A place to steady myself and ground myself is in love. And I had a dear mentor and woman from the church that I had been a part of, Miss Donna Powell, who sadly passed away um last year. But she was she was sort of ahead of me on the journey as well, but more quiet about it. And she was at my house one day and she was battling cancer and going through chemo and all these things. And she was talking to me and she said, Nikki, we make things so complicated, but it's actually quite simple. Everything comes down to love. And that is what I've held to is love and wanting love to be what guides me. And again, love as determined by the person on the receiving end. Um, And Mm. I would say that that has been a big shift for me in not just what I believe, but how I believe it and how I interact with what I believe is asking the question, is this loving, like actually loving to this person who, you know, entrusting that person. Again, I think that the doctrine of total depravity teaching us to not trust ourselves or to trust other people. And now Me being able to say, well, I trust myself and I'm going to trust the people around me to interpret their own experiences and be able to tell me how this comes across to them and to not be so defensive if I've done something wrong. So that's been another part of the journey is learning how to, you know, in the past would have thought I was quite humble, (laughs) you know, Uh, which maybe is quite a marker of not humility, (laughs) of the opposite of humility to think you're so humble. Mm but now to be able to take a step back if something's brought to my attention and sit with it and to change course on how I did something because this person let me know how it harmed them. So I think there's more, I think when we give more permission to ourselves to be constantly evolving and growing and changing and to be curious Towards ourselves and compassionate towards ourselves, then we're going to extend that to other people. So that if something does come up <laughs> that's brought to my attention, if I've been practicing compassion and curiosity with myself, I can practice curiosity and compassion with someone else.
0: Mm. that's right. Yeah, love that answer. That's a great answer. Um, I love what you said about embodiment. I mean, because that's my experience too is that so much of this journey is embodiment it's connecting with our bodies it's um and i love that you that you gendered your body as well like she because um, that's something i learned to do a couple of years ago with with embodiment coach and it changes so much when you do that because it means because suddenly your body is a person It's not, you know, he or she or they are not no longer an it um, Mm -hmm. uh, or an object, right? They're something. They're somebody. A person that is living and that has feelings and that has uh, and that goes through pain and that that, um, and that is trying to communicate with you um, and need your help. And that when we when we approach our bodies like that, it changes everything about how how we engage with ourselves and also how we engage with other people, because it means even you can stop acting in dehumanizing ways, which evangelicalism wants, to, wants you to, right. because evangelicalism is like the flesh is bad. Your body is bad. Uh, you are bad inherently um, kind of like, it's kind of dehumanizing. Right. Yes. And uh, whereas the kind of the, op- what we're talking about is your body is good. Your body is, your body loves you. Your body um, cares for you. Your body uh, tells you the truth and you need to listen to them. Um, And your body is a person and, uh, and being in touch with your own humanity allows you to connect with other people's humanity more. Right. So, um, and yeah so you were that was that was really amazing when you said that like that's such not everyone gets that and it's a really i think it's a really important part of important part of growth
1: yeah i think for me right like within white evangelicalism it's such a hallmark of white supremacy to be a perfectionist like perfectionism and so So much of what I'm learning is how to hold space for me to not be perfect, for me to mess up. And then, you know, in the words of the wise, Dr. Maya Angelou, like, when you know better, you do better, right? And so it's like learning how to give myself space. And when I can do that for myself, and I can own the parts of my story that might be easier to leave unpublished, literally, like when I'm writing a book, you know, I might want to leave certain parts out. But instead, I'm including certain things in my story, even things that paint me in an unflattering light, because I think when I can do that for myself, I can do that for other people. I can hold space for the less than flattering parts of them and come alongside them so that they can know better and do better. Like That is the end goal, is that we would do better together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you just want people other people to see it, don't you? You want you wish everyone could see it as we do. Um, <laughs> um and you know, it's difficult not to get a bit snobbish when you get to that point. But it but yeah. Um so how did all this change that you went through impact your relationships? You know, your with your with your partner or with with your with your um family? How how did all of that get impacted by by this journey?
1: Yeah, well, I want to talk about my relationship with my kids first, because I feel like that was such a huge shift on my journey, is how I interact with and view my children. And like I said, they are currently ages seven, five, and four. And so when I started this journey in 2017, they were obviously much younger. But I think about my first child and who I was as a mother for all those years with my first versus my last, who's kind of only known this Version of me that's questioning and evolving, and I would say that there's been so much more gentleness in my parenting now, uh, and it's it's so sad that the reason I've become more gentle is because I see them as human beings, and it's so sad that under the white evangelical teachings that I had before that want to prop up these hierarchies, they weren't my children weren't allowed to be humans with preferences and likes and dislikes they were meant to be controlled and like you think about it you're in a church that's a high control environment you're learning you know you're being controlled and you're learning how to control your subordinates and in that context like my children were to be controlled by me and that's been such a big part of my journey is seeing that they are not there for My children don't exist for me. Like I am responsible for myself. They are not responsible for my emotional regulation. I am responsible for that, right? Like all these lessons that I'm now learning and able to create more space for myself and hopefully more space for them to grow and in their autonomy and agency. And so, you know, under the former teaching, like we would have spanked our children. We did spank our oldest um, and now to be able to say never again, <laughs> like I just, you know, once we left that church context where I had been spiritually abused, and we started at another church, there was one Sunday where the pastor there, which we only stayed there for like nine months before <laughs> something really terrible happened there with to me, and then we just kind of stepped away for a while from an organized religion, but. You know, one good thing that happened there is the pastor was talking about how when your children mess up big is when they need the biggest hugs. And so I got to sort of put that in practice the next week with my oldest when he hit me. And I can look back and be like, oh, well, of course he hit me. He was just modeling or he was just doing what I had modeled to him. Right. Like in spanking him. He's like, well, then I can hit you. Right. Like so uh, he hit me and he went and hid from me and I went. And found him and wanted him to come out from under the crib where he was hiding under his little brother's crib. And he was like, are you going to spank me? And I was like, no, I just want to hold you. And he crawled into my lap and I'm hugging him and rocking him. And I said, like, when you mess up big is when you need the biggest hugs. And he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry I hit you, mommy. Like all on his own. And like, that was really all it took for me to just be like, never again. I am not going to, like, I can't hit my children. You know, like this is, I, like, we are not using the wooden spoon like we were told to do, you know, and, and. My partner, Stephen, he had been part of a group at the church that we had belonged to for 10 years, Uh, this group of uh, elder training. He was, uh, the goal was that you go through this year-long elder training with the goal of possibly becoming an elder at the end. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they had to do was read this book. And in the book, the, the author gives a, quote, biblical defense for spanking, you know, so it was like that was just a part of it was that. And so, yeah, like we, I had a very violent childhood and I didn't want to spank, but then you're literally having your, your um, authority figures as they position themselves in the church, tell you, this is God's design and this is what you need to do. And the God's ways are higher and you know the world's ways are blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So now being able to say like, No, you can trust the science put out by the Pediatric Association that lets you know that spanking is harmful for your child and still be a Christian. Um, You know, because I kind of I still hold to that label of Christian uh, sometimes. And uh, and in a way, it's because I want to show like I can still follow these things that are helpful and good to me and trust science and trust the science of what the Pediatric Association is saying, because it is not antithetical to the way of Jesus to not harm your children. <laughs> it is actually the way of Christ to advocate for children not to be harmed. So I would say my relationship with my children is the biggest thing. And I know uh, that that's, you know, personal to me and, and not everyone has a relationship like that of, of children or um, with children in their lives. But, you know, that's, that's been a big change for me because they're who I spend the most time with. Um, But yeah, and my partner, oh my goodness, like it was rough for a while there because I would learn new things and I would be like, oh my gosh, listen to this. And granted, I would have had all day to like process this podcast episode that I just heard. And I would sort of Like we'd be washing dishes and I'd be like, let me tell you this thing. And so here I am (laughs) kind of just laying it all on him. and He's had no time to prepare for it. Right. And so he he would have a very human response. Right. Like our our lizard brain (laughs) human response when we aren't relaxed and doing the work to be able to handle um, things that. You know, to him, it felt like these were things that I was questioning. They were just so core to our identities Mm -hmm. as for evangelicals that it was hard for him to hear some of those things. Right. And so we would have these arguments and it was just not great for a while there. And finally, I just looked at him. I said, well, listen, (laughs) if you want to listen to the podcast episode I've listened to or if you want to read the article I've read, you just let me know. And then if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Because I just decided, like, I care too much about this person to always be arguing with them. And again, when I get back to, like, the hopeful person that I am, I tend to see the best in someone. So it's like, I know what a kind human Stephen is. And so it's like, a part of me feels like, he'll get there. He's going to get there. He just needs time. Just like I needed time. Right? And so... Um, Yeah. And he'll tell people now if someone were to ask him like, well, what do you think about such and such? He's like, well, what does Nikki think? You know, he's like, whatever she thinks, I'll be there in a few months, you know? And so the good thing is he has stayed curious as well. You know, like he continued on his own journey, which again, I know not everyone has someone who like if they were married or in a relationship, um, they don't, that person doesn't keep journeying with them. And so I realize again, that that is something that is, Uh, that I have, and that I'm grateful for. But yeah, it's better now. (laughs) It's definitely better now. But it was it was hard there for a time. Because, again, I was asking questions that he wasn't ready for, and digging for those answers. And his digging was just a little slower. And so that that was how those changed. But I think even with that, I changed in the sense of just like I realized I could stop waiting for the permission or the approval of my pastor. I stopped waiting for the permission and the approval of Steven, you know, so much of like, if anyone, your listeners are into the Enneagram like I am a sexual dominant type. And so the sexual dominant type wants to merge with people, become one with someone. And so that is my, that's what I love to do. And so with Steven, that became, oh, well, I want to be accepted by this person and seen as successful by this person also as an Enneagram three. And I want this person to. Uh, yeah, I want all that connection. And so I was willing to forego my agency and my autonomy to connect with someone and. I'd learned that in childhood how to set myself aside and prioritize the other person to have a connection with them. And so I my relationship changed with Steven when I was able to say I'm not going to set aside who I am for your comfort. Now I'm not going to come at you with who I, you know, I'm not going to make it uh, like, I'm not going to create fights for us, but I'm not going to stop my journey just because you're not coming along or just because you're not where I am. And so again, like that was hard when we were such hardcore complementarians with a hierarchy of Steven at the top and me at the bottom. And this, um, belief that it was God ordained for him to be my quote leader, you know, like that's a huge shift for me to be able to say, uh, okay, well, I'm going on this journey with or without you. Like, I want you to come with me and I would love for you to go on this journey with me, but I'm not going to let your lack of engagement stop me from continuing Um, so that's even some boundaries work, like a lot of my relationships, uh, changed just because of implementing boundaries and again, becoming autonomous and, um, some agency over what I believe and why I believe it. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't have like with extended family or my, my parents and my, my younger brother, um, I don't have a lot of a relationship with them in general, and so uh, I think even, again, just the journey I've been on, been on kind of showing me with the book that I've written that things that I have to say and things from my childhood are are hard for people to hear. And the person I'm becoming is hard for people who are used to a certain version of me or, again, like when we think of control and the person who I was being more easily controlled then it changes things. But I've gotten to a point where I was like, I have to tell my story, even if, even if people don't understand it. And, you know, in my extended family, I honestly never really felt accepted by them. And so a part of me feels like I don't have to fear their rejection because I never felt accepted by them. And, that makes it, in some ways, easier to tell my story and easier to become who I'm becoming, because it's not hinging on their approval and it's not hinging on their acceptance.
0: Hmm, that's huge. That's really huge when that happens, um, because because when you when you grow up in the church or in the evangelical church your growth is continuing in what other people think of it on their approval on like their affirmation of, Oh yes, you've reached this level of maturity. Now you can do this right now. You can lead this now you can, whatever. Right. Um, there's a kind of recognition. There's like a, there's a hierarchy. I mean, there's a hierarchy, um, and like a, like an unwritten one and you kind of make your way up and you get, and that's all, based on the approval of others. Whereas now, <laughs> with us, both of us on this journey, and anyone who's on this journey, it's it's not about getting approval of others at all. It's like, this is my journey. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. This is, and, and actually this is really important for me. Like something I try to communicate a lot is that this is why we shouldn't be policing other people's journeys. Because we each have our own journey. We're each different we're each going to go to different places on this journey. We each have different questions, different personalities. We're going to go to different places. We're going to land up in different places and all of that's okay. There's no like prescribed pathway or structure that we have to fit in with our journeys. We are free to have our own journeys and allow the people to have their journeys. And that is really, really important. And Um and every journey is unique and not everyone will end up where you are, and not everyone will have the same experiences as you, but that's okay. Like and um like we have permission to be ourselves. Um and that's enough. Yeah. Um and that's great that you got to that to that place yourself that um where you're kind of free of that because Um, And even more so as a woman, because like, and I don't, I I, I certainly won't be able to appreciate this fully as as a, as a man, but like, um, uh, the, you know, the the restraints on women coming out of that space are more than men because of the the thing you talked about, the, the, you know, complementarianism and the, 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 you know, uh, and all of that, um, because, it's harder to break out of that and you need to have more courage to break out of that. And you have, and that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Just being able to, again, look at the people who, who went before me. And I think that's why I want to tell my story so much is because I want to empower other people to leave whatever toxic thing they need to leave, or even if it's not toxic, if it's a situation or a relationship that again, is no longer bringing them life and that is actually harming them or yeah, just things that to give people again, that, that space to, to question those things. And so I would love for people to see how I left this toxic religion and be able to then leave something toxic or something that's no longer helpful for them to leave those things behind and to see that they can do it too. Because I think that again, in these high control environments, we are so our trust in ourselves, like we talked about is so eroded. And then again, the added layer, like you said, of, of being a woman in these spaces, the thing that gets you accepted is falling into line, you know, and again, you realize that all the community you build can be taken away just like that. You know, that's what happened to us. Like we lost 10 years of friendships with so many people, not everyone, but mm-hmm. a lot of people. And so I think there's this, you know, like I've heard people talk about, uh, like I'm trying to think, I did this webinar in 2021, was it? Uh, I think it was 2021 with Maisha Hill. It might have been 2020. Maisha Hill, Letty Gore, and Wheeze, uh, whose uh, podcast is According to Wheeze. And they talked about, like, white women in particular, how we will choose our whiteness over our female liberation. And so I could see that in my own life, how. Even in 2016, when I was like, I will not vote for Donald Trump, Um, but I still had so much internalized misogyny that I was like, but I can't vote for Hillary Clinton, you know, and I know that that is a dicey thing and people who rightly have you know, uh, like especially black women rightly have critiques against Hillary Clinton. But, you know, for me, I was like, well, I couldn't vote for her just because she was a woman. (laughs) And so uh, so that was my own internalized misogyny there. But I was like, I will not vote for Donald Trump and was going to vote third party. But then the day of voting that year, even after hearing him say the things that he said about grabbing women by the pussy and all these horrible things as a sexual assault survivor myself. Like I was so deeply like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that anyone would vote for him. And I was saying that, and I was waiting for the men around me in my Christian context to speak out against that, and no one did. And then the people in our small group, uh, you know, Stephen and I led a community group. Well, <laughs> let me back up. Stephen was apparently the the community group leader. I apparently did not have that title. That was reserved for the men of the church, but, um, didn't realize that at the time, (laughs) but yeah, like at the time I thought we were co-leaders and then was later informed that we were not. And so, yeah, but I was waiting for any of these men to say anything. And instead they doubled down on their support of Donald Trump, you know? And so the day of voting, who did I vote for? When I walked up to the booth, I voted for Donald Trump. Like, and I want to own that. And I want to say like, I did that in 2016, Uh, Because, again, I don't want to erase the parts of my story that paint me in an unflattering light. I want to own those parts. And so I could see in that moment that I chose my whiteness over my female liberation by casting a vote for him. Because, again, I could see that, okay, well, these men aren't speaking out against it and they are expecting me to vote for him. And they don't see anything wrong with it. And they're making all these excuses. So should I just make excuses, you know? And again, all that doubting of myself and all those things. And so, yeah, to go from voting for him in 2016 to 2017 really being what kicked my my journey off, uh, specifically examining my beliefs about race and I could now see, like, oh yeah, I chose my whiteness and I aligned with that because, in a way, oh, and Joe Lumen, I saw where Joe tweeted recently, oh, was that like last month or something, about how white women are the prized possessions of the patriarchy and we don't know what it's like to never be protected. And, you know, she wasn't saying, we're always protected. But she was saying, we don't know what it's like to never be protected. So I can say like, yes, I've been harmed by the patriarchy because we all are. Um, I've been harmed. These things have happened to me that are horrific. And I've been assaulted and all of these things. And still, because I'm a white woman and In the patriarchy and in the white supremacist patriarchy, they value white women above other women. That has also afforded me a level of protection in certain situations. And so I think that is even harder as a white woman to step out from the confines because you realize you're going to be giving up a level of protection. And so, yes, like, I had to come to terms with that and to say, like, I have to break away from all of it. And and it does, it does leave you, like, once you've broken ranks with that, you get all the labels, you know, of social justice warrior or whatever they want to use that in their minds is disparaging. And you lose your community. And so it is hard. But... <laughs> I would I would do it all again, like leave it all again, uh, because though I miss at times, I miss the built-in community, I miss the having somewhere to be every Sunday and people in our house regularly, I miss that. In a way, I don't miss the control. I don't miss the conditional acceptance, right? Um, and so I'd rather you know for a while there it was quite isolating at times especially when the pandemic started but i started to see like i'd rather be alone than with people who think that as a woman i should be you know that i'm second class and that that is god's good design i'd rather be alone than with people who think that and so that's been yeah so much of the journey is finding the people who yeah, like we talked about earlier, who ahead of me and, you know, we, we started at a church last January, January, 2021. I think the time all kind of blurs together. Um, but it's a church in Hawaii and, you know, I'm in South Carolina and so I will never get to go there in person, but that's the, the good thing of the technology. And so it's been a church that's just been such a healing place for us. And the pastor and his wife have been on this journey probably as long as you were around that amount of time and so when we got connected to them so many of the people we knew on the journey were like us they were either just starting out or just like a couple years ahead so for us to find people who had been doing it way longer than us and who we could look at and say oh they're they're okay they're doing okay they're more than okay like look at how again abundant life it, it, you know look at all these things about them and we could learn from them and on their journey, and I know like Sarah Bessie in her book Out of Sorts, I think, about the wilderness, you know, and how just look around like there are people in the wilderness, you know. Um, and I remember like after reading that, I looked up the word wilderness, uh, like in the online Bible search and saw how many entries there were for wilderness, and it's like, oh, like wilderness isn't something to be afraid of, and it's not something that, uh, is you're going to be alone in because look, look at all the times that in what we call the Bible, like look how many times wilderness comes up and, you know, God was with them or they were with one another. And so for us too, for me to look around and to say like, there are other people in the wilderness too. And I just have to look around and find them.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's right. You know, because when, the wilderness is not a solitary place. Um, I think I've said that several times on my Twitter account. You know, it's it's not a solitary place. There's a there's a table and there's there's, there's people and um, there's community and um, there's life even even there. Um, yeah, and that, that I and you know, a lot of the story I resonate with because I I've I struggled I struggled to find community um after i left and lost a lot of friends um or they left me um and yeah and i've I've found some online community now which is is really amazing um and even in-person community as well Um, um although i don't attend all the time because i'm still a bit still a bit anxious about covid and things but um but yeah it's possible to find community on on the other side as it were and um yeah you're you and I and anyone on this journey is not alone and that that, that's for that's for sure um yeah so um thank you for sharing a bit of your story today Nikki yeah
1: thank you for having me and asking it's been so good to just get to share it and to be asked questions I haven't been asked yet (laughs) You're welcome.
0: Yeah. It's great to have you on. Um, and where can people find you and your work and things?
1: Yeah, so I actually just started a website or made a website, NikkiPappas.com. So that's dot scom And so that... Is new and up and running now. And on my site, people can pre-order As Familiar as Family, uh, which is hopefully going to be out in September this year. That is the goal if everything continues as it's supposed to. And I am most active on Instagram, and that is at Broadening the Narrative. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Broad Narrative. I have a Facebook group for Broadening the Narrative. And I did a TikTok series when I was promoting my book when I was first trying to gained some traction around my book, uh, but I haven't done a whole lot on TikTok since then. But yes, and those are the places.
0: Great. That's fantastic. And I would highly recommend um giving Nikki a follow. Um, she is uh she is fantastic and you've heard a bit of her story today and that's that's amazing. So uh so thank you for coming on Nikki um and I'm excited about this book of yours um and yeah um thanks for listening everybody